Well, before I introduce the, the message for tonight, I decided to take a little break here from Psalms for a couple of reasons. One is that Psalm 22 is a very a more detailed messianic psalm. It's one of the clearest places in the Old Testament where the picture of the Messiah as the suffering servant can be found. There's lots of examples in the Old Testament of the Messiah being portrayed as the conquering king. And that was the general focus and mindset of the Jewish nation in terms of what they were looking for in the coming Messiah. But Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 are the two most obvious passages where you see a messianic aspect to the passages that are showing that the Messiah would not only be a conquering king, but he would be a suffering servant as well. And even those passages are more prophetic in nature, so they're not as, they're clearer looking backwards than they would have been looking at them in real time. But I wanted to give more time than I had to Psalm 22, and so so we're not going to go to Psalm 22 tonight. We're going to take a look at Romans chapter 15, verse 4. But the, the title for tonight's message is God's Word Provides Hope. God's Word Provides Hope. And three things happened to me in the last three days. A friend sent me this verse just by way of encouragement. So I got this verse. It had a significant impact on me, so I passed it along to some others. In fact, we touched on this at a board meeting that we had on Tuesday night. And I thought, now I just want to encourage you with some of the observations that stood out to me as I have been thinking about and meditating on this verse for the last few days. So turn, if you haven't, to Psalm 15.4, and that's where we're going to spend our time here tonight by way of a midweek study. Romans 15.4. Now, this might have be jumping off the page at you a little bit because we covered some of the surrounding verses in our study on the prayers of Paul. We picked up in verse 5 and we went through verse 7, I believe, when we did this study on Paul's prayers. But we, though I read through verse 4, we didn't explain it or touch on it much when we went through Paul's prayers a while back here and covered this general area of the Word of God. So let's read verse 4 here now. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now, he had just got done referring to something that was written in the Old Testament as it was now being applied to Jesus Christ in verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written. Now, when he, anytime you read that phrase, as it is written, as it is written where? Well, in Old Testament Scripture. So as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, again in reference to Jesus Christ. Then he's going to just continue with that thought and say, as, as we're talking about things that had been written before, long ago, in Old Testament Scriptures, now I want to have this sort of aside about that statement or about the value of that. So as it was written, he just gets, gets on talking about a particular quote, but now he says, now in general, here's a general statement about those scriptures that were written before. These things that were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of those scriptures might have hope. And so I want to just break this down. It won't surprise you perhaps that there's a lot more here than maybe what first meets the eye. There's a lot of nuggets tucked into this one verse. Let's start though by considering this phrase, things were written for our learning. Those things were written before and they were written for our learning. Now it of course refers to the revealed word of God. Specifically though, it refers to the Old Testament scripture, the Old Testament writings, the things that were written before. Paul's not talking about New Testament letters here. He's not talking about the epistles. He's talking about those, the scriptures that were contained in the Old Testament. Now, it hadn't even necessarily been fully put together yet. The Septuagint had been a Greek translation of the Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic Old Testament scriptures, but there hadn't even necessarily been any uniform 
agreement yet or collection per se of exactly which writings were going to ultimately be included in the canon of Scripture. That's a whole other topic. But as Paul's looking at this, he's looking at the ones that were popular that he was exposed to, that as a Pharisee, he had spent a lot of time in the writings of Moses, the prophets, the, the law, the kings, the historical books, the Chronicles and the Kings. He was very familiar with the books of poetry. He had been exposed to those things as a Pharisee. So as being one who is the most learned on a track to be a religious leader of the nation of Israel himself, and in fact, he was a prominent member of that group, he was very familiar with these things, and he's saying they were written, those things that were written before, they were written for our benefit. Now, Paul himself, of course, has a recognition that the things that were written were not written by men. They were penned by men as inspired and breathed, literally God breathed by God as he spoke through men to put together his truth and reveal himself in a way that would then be available to people of faith in an enduring kind of a way. And we'll touch on that in a second. But he's referring to the Old Testament. And I would just say this, how familiar are you with the Old Testament Scripture? How, mu how much time have you spent reading it? It's ultimately God's story from beginning to end. God wrote a story. It was a love letter. It was a letter of redemption, a story about His grace. It has a beginning. It has a middle. It has an end. There's a lot here in the Old Testament. A lot of it is descriptive in the sense of its historical talking about how the storyline is going to be carried forward through the nation of Israel. The first 12 chapters, of course, up to Abraham in Genesis, they're fascinating, some of the most fascinating chapters in the Bible. As the storyline picks up with the nation of, every nation of Israel carrying the storyline forward, as we're telling the story of redemption and how it's going to come through the race, this particular people group, it's going to involve a person, a unique God-man, Jesus Christ, but he's going to have a lineage, meaning he's going to have come from somewhere. So we're going to tell how we got from Abraham to the Messiah. How did that story unfold? How did God reveal himself? All of the characters, though, are ultimately contributing to one cohesive story, though, that is pointing to and climaxing at the cross with the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Now, how much of that story was useful? How much of that storyline was intended to benefit you? How much of that storyline would be valuable to know? Well, according to Paul, all of it was written for your learning and for your understanding. And I know that if you've gotten into it before, there's passages and parts of it that are extremely tedious, that are difficult maybe to see. What is the takeaway here? What is the useful application to my life here? What was God trying to show about himself or myself or the human condition? Uh, what was he trying to show here? And I don't have all the answers for you, but as I've read through the word of God, and I haven't done it as many times as, you know, I know Mrs. Herb was somebody who had a high value on reading through the Bible. Uh, she was somebody who did it yearly or annually anyway. I remember her talking to me about it. Uh, she found gems in there. She just kept mining. She just kept mining and finding more things. And sometimes you just have to keep reading and say, I'm not sure what I was supposed to get from this. But if God wrote it, if it was recorded in his word, it has some value and some benefit to me. Now, it wasn't all written to me specifically, but it was all written for my benefit. We understand dispensationally that we're not under the law, that a lot of the rules and the ways that God dealt even with the nation of Israel are different than how he's dealing in the age of grace and the church age. We understand that, that not everything is supposed to apply directly to us, but it's all written for our benefit is the takeaway. And Paul is saying that here, these things that were written, he's written, he's talking about these things that were written before being the Old Testament Scripture. Now, one of the takeaways as I see this, these things that were written before, God can be known None of it would have been written. None of it would have been spoken or revealed to begin with. God wouldn't have inspired the writers of Scripture. He wouldn't have even bothered if he didn't want to be known. So as you're thinking just logically about this, does God want to be known? And the answer is yes, he must want to be known because he's revealed himself 
The, the parts of himself that he thought were, would be important to us anyway, certainly he didn't reveal everything about himself. We know now in part. One day we'll know fully as we're known fully. But he revealed what he believed we needed through his word. So he does want to be known, at least to the extent he has revealed himself and continues to reveal himself through the illumination of the Spirit, he can be known. So it's not really a question of can God be known or does God want you to know him? The, The real question is, do you really want to know him? Because if he's revealed himself to you and you have no time for his word or you don't make it a significant priority... You don't have the time for it that you have for so many other things. Then can you really say that you want to know him badly? The question is, how badly do you want to know him? Because if he wants to be known and you want to know him, and there's a power of the Holy Spirit in this equation, there's no stopping the outcome from being achieved, right? It's a a foolproof equation. God wants to be known when, when you have a desire to know him, and the Spirit of God wants to illuminate himself to you and work to make that happen, it can't, it can't help but be successful. So what's the limiting factor in this? Is the Holy Spirit the limiting factor in this process? Of course not. Is God's desire to be known and his effort to have revealed himself the limiting factor? Well, of course not. The limiting factor is you and I. And it's not about guilt It's not about shame. It's not about regret. It's about sometimes we need to be convicted and challenged to say, hmm, maybe maybe I don't really want to know him as badly as I thought I did. Maybe I need to pray that he would give me that desire. Maybe then I need to pray that he would even logistically help me to rearrange my priorities so that I could make more time for this. Because it's not going to happen accidentally. We get into habits and patterns, right? So the prayer might have to be, God, help me to rearrange my life, my, my expenditure of my time, the way I structure even the use of my time, in a way that would carve out an important place for you in all this so that I could actually take advantage of the truth that you've revealed. Now, I, I say that by way of reminder to myself and by way of reminder to you, there's just no way we're going to cover this here. There's just not enough time here for us to get through it all. There's too much here. And so, this is a part of it, but it's not it. It's a part of it. And then our own personal Bible study is critically important. So one, that you can compare Scripture with Scripture. You can determine if what we focus on and what we teach over the pulpit, is it accurate? Is it true? Is what being said, is it line up with what the words of Scripture say? that Berean kind of mindset. And I was thinking about this, these things that were written. And what came to my mind is, consider how much time you devote to the things you're truly interested in and excited about. Pick anything that is sort of a new thing that's caught your fancy. It's caught your eye. It's, it's, it's got your interest. Invariably, when you really add up all the hours, you're going to see that you spend a lot of time on the things you're truly interested in and the things that you're captivated by. And so the prayer for all of us, again, this is about exhortation. The prayer for all of us just needs to be, may God grant us a deep interest, a deep desire for his word. So that's what Paul starts with, the things that were written. Now he says, there's, there's at least two reasons that these things were written. He only really brings out one here, but the other one is assumed by the word written. They, they were written down. For what was the reason for that? So there's at least two reasons that they were written. So there were things that God thought were important about himself that beforehand, before Paul's t- time here, he said, had already been written down. Now the one reason is clear, it jumps off the page, for our learning. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 10.11. I want to show you another example of how we can take this as a principle to the bank that God revealed himself so that we could know him, so that we could learn about him. And in 1 Corinthians 10.11, Paul is talking about Old Testament events from the past and he's actually talking about some really negative ones. He's talking about a series of Old Testament events that had resulted in divine discipline. 
or divine judgment. But now he's going to refer back to these things and what was the value of him covering these things. He's going to explain this here, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He says, now all these things that he just got done talking about happened to them as examples. So it didn't happen to the Paul reading it or the Corinthian believers reading it. It had happened to these Old Testament saints, but it happened to them as examples. It was intended to show them something. But, and these things, they were written for our admonition or Most translations have instruction. They were written for our instruction. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So Paul's even talking about there that he believes that they're living at the last phase of human history. That was Paul's perspective. That was the apostles' perspective. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But 2,000 years later, here we still are as a part of the church. This was the perspective, though, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Maybe it'll be today. Maybe we'll get to experience what Paul never got to, but he was looking forward to with an eager anticipation that he would be the end generation at the end of this story that would then culminate with God finalizing his plans for the ages. But back to the text, these things were written down and they were recorded for our learning. They went through those things for their learning, but they were recorded for our learning. You see, them being recorded was somewhat for their learning too because they could even look back and be reminded of the things about the past where there had been past failure and God had tried to teach them something. Maybe they learned it, maybe they didn't. But if you had a diary of those events, even in your own life, you say, man, why didn't I learn that lesson the last time around? Maybe I should have written these things down then so I could reflect back on them and be reminded not to make the same mistakes over and over again. So it might have benefited them to write it down to begin with, but the primary intent was those who would come after who could learn from what was recorded. 2 Timothy 3 gives another passage talking about the value of Scripture for our learning. Now, I had gone through, if you want to turn there, you can. We'll look at verses 16 and 17. On Sunday, as, I, as we talked to our graduates, we, I talked through this passage right up to these two verses. I, I ended in verse 15 for the sake of time. Could have definitely gone on. 2 Timothy 3. I ended with Paul's encouragements, his advice to a young Timothy. And remember the last thing that we talked about? We talked about how their God would, had been faithful. God had delivered Paul from everything in verse 11, verse 12, that to live for the Lord would, involve, it would come at a cost. I brought that out for the young people. 13, I brought out that the world around us is still evil. There's a lot of danger in the world around us. Verse 14 and into 15, Paul's advice now is now continue though, in spite of that danger, Continue in the things that you've learned, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. Ultimately, where does it come back to? God's truth, His revealed truth found in His Word. Now, what's the value of the Scriptures? It's able to make you wise for present salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You got saved by faith, you walk by faith, you live by faith. Who's the object of it all? Who's the focus of it all? Christ Jesus. Then, If we had continued through the end of the chapter, it says all Scripture, now he's talking about the Holy Scriptures that he referenced in verse 15, all Scripture, it's given by inspiration of God. Literally, it is God-breathed. And it's what? What is the value of Scripture? Now, what Scripture is he referring to here? The letters that he had written previously? No, they they hadn't been canonized yet. They hadn't been made even a part of Scripture. He's referring to the Old Testament writings that were still the foundation of what men and women of faith were studying. You, you mean that we could learn a lot from what had been written before? Yes. And he, so he's saying all Scripture is given by God-breathed, and it's what? It's profitable for what things? It's useful to learn what? Doctrine. We can learn doctrine from the Old Testament? Yeah. Principles? values, instructions, directions, and righteousness. We can find them there, yeah. So for doctrine, for reproof, can we be challenged by 
reading about events and things that took place, things that God revealed in the Old Testament? Yes, it's profitable. What else can it do? It can correct us. Do we need correcting? Yeah, because we lose our way. We start to think we know more than God does. And it ends with for instruction in righteousness. Now, what's the ultimate value of all of that? That if those things are happening, if you're having the value or the profit of those things that the Scripture is bringing about in your life, what's the ultimate result? That the man of God would be complete, would be maturing, and, be, and would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You're saying you can't be thoroughly equipped apart from having a high, placing a high value and having an interest in learning God, how God has revealed himself in his word? Not according to what God breathed to Paul here in this letter to Timothy. So it really hits home when you think about these things were written before. The word of God was recorded, but it was recorded for our learning. Now, as you think about that, I wanted to bring out a couple of reminders. One being that learning is ultimately made possible by the Holy Spirit. Don't get this idea that I need to buckle down and learn the Scripture through my own self-help plan, my own human effort. Now, there might be a, there's a volitional aspect to it. You have to choose or make a choice to say, uh, I'm going to place a high value on this. That choice may be made prayerfully because ultimately it's God who works in us both the will and to do of His good pleasure. So you may not even want to be too self-focused in that, but you have to be convinced anyway, persuaded that learning God's Word is valuable. Then you have to be prayerful about it and say, God, help me to want to know you by investing in your Word. And then following that, you have to see, I'm not going to teach myself. The Word of God is going to teach and instruct me ultimately, though, through the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to show you this principle because too often we could even take a good thing like learning the Word of God and we can make it all about us. That's our tendency is to make everything all about us. But 1 Corinthians chapter, oh sorry, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 10. It's talking about God's truth, talking about verse 9, what has been written in the past, but it's talking about God's spiritual truths and how spiritual truths are revealed by God. They're not discerned by human wisdom. But picking up in verse 10, it says, but God has revealed them to us, meaning his truths. He revealed them to us, how? Through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. For what purpose? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Where is that learning and that understanding and that knowledge ultimately going to come from? God. Who is it going to be facilitated by as it relates to you? God's spirit. Who's, who's going to get all the glory were you to learn anything about God? Hopefully God himself. It's not ultimately about you. But you do have to want. You have to want or desire to know the Lord as he wants to be known. Now the other thing I want to tell you about learning, because that's the main thought here. These things that were written before, they were written for our learning, and then for what purpose? That we might have hope. That's the short version of the message tonight in case you're kind of running out of steam. These things were written so that we could learn, but the ultimate purpose in it was that we could have hope. That we could have hope. But as I'm talking about these things were written before for our learning, I hope you remember that your learning should also benefit those around you. So learning is ultimately made possible by the Holy Spirit Learning is primarily focused on the revealed Word of God. It's in the Scriptures that God revealed Himself. But the third principle really is that your learning should benefit those around you. It's not intended to be just a selfish kind of a thing where it's intended only to benefit the learner. 
And one verse that we could turn to, we're actually going to turn to a couple of them, but one verse we're going to turn to, you're already in 1 Corinthians probably still, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I want to look at verse 14. This is a wonderful verse. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. That's a, that's a nugget to ponder, huh? Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. You mean to tell me there's victory available in Christ? That there's always victory available in Christ regardless of what I'm going through? Regardless of my circumstances? Yeah, and that's not even why I've turned here. <laughs> that's just a nugget. It says this about Christ, though. And through us, thanks be to God who through us, what does he do? He want, what does he desire to do? He diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. He diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. How does he do that? Through us. Now, did he need us? No. God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. Oh, how you love me. And somehow that frees me to take my hands off of my life and the way it should go. God has a plan for my life. He chose to include me specifically, but you specifically. He chose to include people in that plan. He didn't have to, but he chose to anyway. He wanted to minister to people through people. He ministers to people directly, but he also wanted to minister to people through people. It brings him glory when you are a yielded vessel in his hands, willing to allow him to minister to others through you. To share his truth, the knowledge that you've acquired with others. In how many places? In every place. The idea was that there would be this ripple effect, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a second, but a rock splashes into a calm pool of water and the ripples just carry out from there and they'll go for ever and ever and ever that's kind of the idea see truth is intended to be passed on to others it should be like a fire that's spreading and you think about that sometimes talk about quenching the spirit even the spirit of God has a desire that his people would want to proclaim him everywhere and anywhere to anyone and everyone. Not everyone in the same way. Your way of declaring God may be very different than my way of declaring God, but he wants us to be a living declaration or a living light, a light bearer for him, an ambassador for him. And he wants that to be going, spreading like fire then as it catches on. Now, sometimes even in a church, we can get a little dull. We can get a little bit lethargic, a little bit set in our ways, a little bit just relaxed, like those were things that I was more fired about, up about in the past, but I'm now kind of on autopilot. Or, like I said to the young people, how can you continue on with something you've never known to begin with? And that's a sad reality is that only God knows anyone's heart, but we have young people going through the motions here all the time just because they are brought up in this, they're taught this, but they've never really tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Never relax, parents, in, this, in, in having a sense that your child really understands this, has personalized this, and has tasted it for themselves. Now, God doesn't want you to be anxious about it either. But he just wants you to say, Lord, every morning, Lord, help me to be that reflection of you that my child needs so that they have the best chance, every chance possible to respond to your truth because they can see you clearly in me. Pray that that could be true, that you could get me out of the way so they could see you, so they could hear you, so they could feel you even in a sense. 
But in any event, that's the, the idea is that we wouldn't get kind of dull. We wouldn't become weary in well-doing. That we'd be so excited every day about who we are in Christ, who God is to us, what He's done for us, how great a salvation He's made possible, that that would be the thing that is exciting us, that's energizing us. And that as we're energized and excited by the good news, the glorious gospel, that that would permeate just even the attitude and even the, the tenor of the congregation so that people would be excited and that would spread to their interactions with other people. So even that the gospel could even spread like wildfire across our regions and our community here. And like I mentioned, having met that individual down in Georgia who had, without ever once setting foot in this building, had been impacted by this ministry. I did mention that on Sunday, right? Yes? Oh, no? Oh, I mentioned it at a board meeting. Okay. See, I can't keep it straight. That's what you're dealing with here. Uh, Bar is real low. Just keep praying. Keep praying. It's a jumbled mess upstairs here. I finished preaching in Georgia. A guy and his wife came up to talk to me afterward and said we really enjoyed the message. They were trying to be kind. He said to me, listening to you, he said, it reminded me of this other guy from Minnesota that I've heard online. He said, have you ever heard of Leonard Radke? It can go to places that... Did, did, did Leonard live long enough to hear that? Of course not, right? Did he have any idea if he would just proclaim God's truth and have a zeal, be excited, have an awe of God and that would come out in the way he spoke and engaged with people? Did he have any idea what God would do with that? No. Do you have any idea what God's done with your enthusiasm and excitement for him? No. The people you've already talked to, the people that you've already interacted with, some of them you didn't even know you were encouraging them. Some of them you wouldn't even remember the interaction. But yet many, many generations later, there it is still bringing in a harvest because he's the God of the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. In any event, we'll never get through this, but that, isn't that fascinating? I thought it was fascinating. The fire should spread. So here's an example of that, this idea of how your learning should be used to pass that information on to others. In 2 Timothy 2.1, it says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, he says, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, there's four rings anyway to that ripple effect that are mentioned in this one verse. There's at least four rings there. We have Paul. Who did he teach truth to? Timothy. Timothy is being told to teach it to faithful men. What were the faithful men supposed to do with it? Teach it to others. You have four layers of the ripple that Paul's talking about right here. That's the idea. That God can then just keep using it as it spreads, like a, like a ripple spreads or like a wildfire spreads or what have you. Now, the second reason that there would be these things that were written. One was for our learning, but the second one was for posterity and accuracy. You see, things that are written, that's what I'm saying, it's implied in this word written. These things were written, one reason for our learning. Second, though, for accuracy and posterity. When they're written down, they're less susceptible to misrepresentation. Here's an example. So-and-so said, you said. Who's heard that before? <laughs> Somebody gets mad. They come storming up to you and they say, John said that you said this. And you said, that's not what I said. That's not what I said at all. Now, if you hadn't said it, but you'd have texted it or written it or typed it, emailed it, put pen to paper, would there be any disputing what was said? No, it'd be right there written down. So it's less susceptible to being misrepresented. The other thing is that things written down, copied and widely disseminated are likely to endure. 
And that's what was instructed in terms of the word of God, that even each child in the nation of Israel was taught, they were supposed to write out the book of Deuteronomy, memorize the book of Deuteronomy. The, the kings of Israel were supposed to write out a copy. I don't know if it was the whole law. Do you remember that? Anyone? They were supposed to write out a section of the Old Testament. I don't know if it was the whole thing, but the kings were supposed to do that. Now, I don't, I don't know that many did. They don't seem to have learned anything from it if they did. But that was what they were told to do, or there was a historical precedent for that. So, in any event, if something is written down, if it's then copied and then it's widely disseminated, then it's going to endure. In the case of the Bible, God guarantees it will. Matthew 5, 17 through 18, most of you are familiar with these, this, this verse or this passage, these two verses, but it says, do not think that I came to destroy the law. This is Jesus talking. I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. That's in reference to the canon of the Old Testament scripture. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, these are the smallest punctuation points in language, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. See, Jesus is guaranteeing that the written word of God will endure and will continue on accurately even. You see, he wouldn't be able to say that thing about jot and tittle if he didn't mean that he was going to be involved in through the ministry of even the Spirit of God, that God himself would be involved in preserving even the copies of the Scripture. That, that's why when you think about copies of the Scripture, there are many times more copies of the Word of God available still even to, to this day than there are even of some of the manuscripts of historical writings that are highly revered. In fact, one of the things that we saw at the Creation Museum is there was an example of like the four most popular or most often quoted books of antiquity and how many copies were available, fragments or otherwise, of those different writings that were fully accepted by people as being accurate. No one ever questions these other books. Most of them at most had about 12 copies total. And the Bible has thousands of manuscripts that are of equal age that are still available from the same time period in terms of when those manuscripts were written. And maybe I'll come up with a little video on it. It's a fascinating video where the guy says, here's two coffee beans for this one. Here's four for this one. Here's eight for this one. And there was like six for the other one, something along those lines. And then he pulls, <laughs> pulls out this big bag of coffee beans for all of the similarly dated copies of autographs or manuscripts of the, the Word of God and pours them out. And man questions the authenticity of the Bible without end, but just fully will accept the rest of it. It was very powerful. Anyway, we need to move on. So these things were written for our learning, and then I pulled out the second point. They were also written for posterity and accuracy. That, so that indicates or identifies that there's a specific purpose or outcome in mind for the things that were written. They were written for our learning. So having learned, though, what was the outcome that was desired? Now it says that through the patience, now insert of the Scripture, and through the comfort of the Scripture to separate things, we might have hope. So if you skip across the descriptions here, it's these things that were written before, were written for our learning, that we might have hope. That's the main idea here. Now when you look at this phrase, through the patience of the Scriptures, you see that the Scriptures are stated to be the means of accomplishing the desired objective. Now, what's the desired objective? That we might have hope. What's the vehicle that's going to accomplish that? What's the means? The means is going to be the Scriptures. So the scripture are, Scriptures are going to be the vehicle for the outcome that is desired, which is that Christians, men and women of faith, would have hope as a result of the Word of God being available to them and specifically in the context the Old Testament scriptures. So now then two specific byproducts of interacting with the scripture are highlighted as promoting the anticipated result, which is again that we might have hope. Now the first one is this, through the patience of the scriptures. So, so through the patience of the scriptures and then through the comfort of the scriptures, these are 
two ways or two byproducts of interacting with the Scripture. One of the things that the Scripture brings about, it says, is patience. Now, the word translated as patience refers to steadfastness in the face of adversity. Steadfastness in the face of adversity, which God's Word gives believers. The Scriptures, the Word of God, gives a believer steadfastness in the face of adversity. Now, the word is also often translated as endurance. That through the Scripture, we might have endurance, but the idea is this steadfastness to be bold and to stand firm in the face of adversity. The Scripture provides that, the the result of having stood firm and having looked back at Scriptures to see others who have been true to their faith, stood fast in their faith, it will give us hope. So that's the first example or, or specific byproduct of the Scripture is that it would create patience or endurance or steadfastness as it relates to the result of spending time in God's Word. Now, ask yourself, how does interacting with or meditating on the Scripture, how does that yield steadfastness? Steadfastness that that would then create a sense of hope in you. Well, the answer is there's probably lots of them, but the answer is that you see God's character. As you meditate on or interact with God's Word, you see God revealed. You see His character. You also see His faithfulness, His faithful provision. As you were to look at Old Testament Scripture, you would see His grace. You would see His loyal love or His mercy. Now, would that give you steadfastness in the face of adversity? You'd be reminded of who your God is, how faithful He is, how much He loves you, how much He cares for you, how He's provided for you. Would meditating on the Scripture, the record that God has revealed about Himself and men and women of faith through the ages, would that then lead to hope as you spent time in God's Word? Paul says it will. That's why they were given to you. They were given to you that through learning the Scripture, you would have hope. But it would also give you this steadfastness. Now, the second thing is through the comfort of the Scriptures. That's the second specific byproduct that happens from interacting with Scripture and leads to the hope of the believer that's desired. As you meditate on and you spend time in the Scriptures, God's saying here through Paul that you're going to be comforted by that. Having that comfort and seeing that comfort or receiving that comfort, it's going to lead you to have hope which we know is confident expectation we'll touch on in a second. See, most translations have encouragement in the place of comfort. As you reflect on the Scriptures, you're going to be encouraged. Do you find that to be true? I find that to be true. As I think about, you can't make this up, just how God uses things and He's not a God of chance. Somebody sent me this verse. I thought, wow, that's a nice reminder. I had an appointment to meet some people. I went to meet with them. The lady said, as I've faced the hardest times in my life, that's what's caused me to want to read God's Word when I was hopeless. That's when I went to God's Word. And I said, it's fascinating that you say that. I've just been meditating on this verse. Let me share it with you. And we turned to it. And there was tears coming as you read that God's saying this exact thing. That His Word was given to you so you could learn it and so that you could have hope as you would be able to face the challenges and trials in life knowing that there is an answer to this that can't be found in myself, can't be found in others, can't be found in the world around me. Now, I hadn't considered this verse. There's no way this verse would have come to my mind if it hadn't first been texted to me by a friend the day before. 
So naturally, then I wanted to talk about it at the board meeting. Naturally, now I'm talking to you about it. Through the patience of the scriptures, through the steadfastness, through the, sorry, through the, the scripture giving me this ability to have this comfort. So we have the patience or the steadfastness, but now we have the comfort, the encouragement. Now, what is encouragement about the scriptures? Because that's what Paul's saying, or God's saying through Paul, that the scriptures would give you steadfastness, they would give you endurance, and give you the ability to face adversity, but the scripture would also give you comfort. It would give you encouragement. So what's so encouraging about the scripture? Think about the Old Testament specifically. Well, as you look at it, what do you see? Well, I think if you have a wide enough zoomed out perspective and don't get too caught up in the details, because the details might ultimately snuff out your interest. But if you zoom out far enough and you read it from a little bit higher vantage point, you're going to see the grace of God. That's what you're going to see in the pages. Because that's the whole story of the Bible is the story about God's love and grace. You're going to see his love, his steadfast, loyal, faithful love. You're going to see the God who stays that Eric talked about on Sunday, a long-suffering God. You're going to see the God who provides. You're going to see the God who directs. You're going to see the God who rescues. You're going to see the God who teaches. You're going to see the God who corrects. You're going to see the God who enables. You're going to see the God who empowers. You're going to see the God who fights your battles and defends you. You're going to see that in the pages of Scripture. And it's going to be encouraging. You're going to see God interact with people of every kind and every background. You're going to see God's faithfulness despite human frailty, despite human failure, despite human rebellion, despite human rejection of Him. You're going to see God's faithfulness. You're going to see God working through all types of circumstances, through all types of challenges, through all types of trials, in the face of all kinds of adversity. That's what you're going to see. You're going to see that nothing is too big for your God. That's what's encouraging about the Scripture. But you can't see that if you're not in it. And as you think about the Scripture producing this quality of steadfastness and this quality of encouragement in you as byproducts of studying God's Word, I hope you remember that you're not being asked to produce these qualities. It's the Word of God that's said to produce these qualities in your life steadfastness and, and an encouraged soul. Now, the primary outcome that God has in mind in all of this is that you would have hope. That's the primary focus of this passage, that you would have hope. He gave you the, his word so that you could have hope. And it's in the present tense here, this word that you may, might have hope. It's in the present tense. It indicates that believers are to have this and keep on having hope. You see, the scriptures were ultimately given to believers as a means of providing hope. And hope is, again, I've said this before, but it's ordinarily defined with this sense of a desire that something good or beneficial would happen. But biblical hope, we've said this many times, but it refers to a confident expectation regarding the promises of God. Instead of simply desiring something good for the future, biblical hope expects the fulfillment of whatever God promised. So even as you think about the Scriptures were given so that you could have hope, well, who gave the Scriptures? The God of hope. See, it's God who ultimately is the source of hope. Your confidence, if hope means a confident expectation in God keeping His promises, in God fulfilling His word, the confidence that you can have, it's born from the reliability of the object of your hope, which is God Himself, a faithful, a true, and unfailing God. And Christians, the idea here of the passage is that Christians should learn from the past and face the present and future with confidence. God's word reveals God's character and records his loving and gracious disposition toward his children. God's word reveals his faithful and complete provision for your every need. 
God's word reveals his promises relating to your past, present, and future spiritual well-being. The culmination of being confronted with all of that is that you should be filled with hope, a confident expectation in the promises, the faithfulness, the provision, the direction, the enablement, the, power, the empowerment, the love, the care, the compassion, the long-suffering of your God. So are you needing a little bit of steadfastness in your life? Are you finding yourself more easily shaken from your purpose and your faith than you ought to be? Are you needing a little bit of encouragement in your life? Are you feeling discouraged? Are, are things upsetting you? Are things getting you down? Are you getting yourself down? Are you focused too much on yourself? Too much on your failure? Too much on your inadequacy and your insufficiency? Are you needing a little bit of hope tonight? Paul says that you can find those things in God's Word. Now, you're not going to find them in yourself. You're not going to find steadfastness, encouragement, and hope in unbelievers. You're not going to find those things in the world around you. But what a treasure we have in God's Word. God says you can find them in my Word. So, I hope that's been a useful reminder. It's something that really impacted me, and I wanted to share it with you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we could spend in your word. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us with the expectation that your revelation could actually provide us with steadfastness in the face of adversity, that it could provide us with encouragement when we need it, and that it could give us hope. Hope for today, hope for tomorrow, hope as we face difficult and hard challenges that you say are a part of life. You say we will go through those things, that we will suffer, that we will have hard things, that we will face troubles, but that you've given us something to give us some perspective in all of that, to still have a confidence as we face those giants in our lives and those difficult things in our lives. We do it as we're encouraged by your word. We're made firm and fast by your word, pray that we would see that we need your truth and we need it more often than we've been having it, that nobody has made enough time or too much time for your word in their lives. Pray that we would seek out every opportunity we have to interact with it, that we would carve out time in our lives to give it the place of importance that it deserves. Thank you for all these reminders that you give us because you know how easily we forget. Pray that you would keep working in us to transform us into the image of your Son as we know that you say you will until the day you call us home. Pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.